Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome in to this week's episode of The Advanced Route, the show here at The Athletic, where we bring stats and scouting together to help you get wins in your fantasy football leagues. I'm your host, Michael Beller, joined as always by my co-host, Emery Hunt. Emery, going into week four, how you doing on this Tuesday afternoon? I'm doing fine, man. It's been a pleasure to continue to do these podcasts with you, and it's always great to talk shop. Yeah, well, we're, we got a lot of shop to talk here. Uh, so before we get to that, don't want to waste too much time. But uh, just really quickly, uh, first, you can uh, follow Emery on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. You can get me at M. Beller. Still running our 40% off promotion here at The Athletic. Get yourself 40% off a yearly subscription by going to theathletic.com slash the advanced route. If you're listening to this free, uh, doing that will get you 40% off and give you access to all of our podcasts, all our fantasy stuff, NFL college football, uh, Major League Baseball playoffs are about to start next week. NBA and NHL season's right around the corner. You get it all here with that one subscription. And you get access to a great show called To Be Honest with D'Angelo Williams and Jake Seeley. D'Angelo given a player's perspective on the NFL news of the day. Definitely a great podcast that I think you will enjoy if you check out. And now with that housekeeping out of the way, Emery, we can start talking shop. So uh, you ready to do our thing here week four? Absolutely. All right, week four of the season, week three, uh, sort of marks for me a point where we can start to draw conclusions. Obviously, football is a small sample size game, especially when you're looking at just one season. You have to be comfortable operating in small sample sizes. But with three games down for every single team, we can start to uh, you know decide what we really think about some of the more surprising starts, be they good or bad. And that's what we're going to do on this episode of the Advanced Route. We're going to talk about three players who are off to good starts, maybe a little bit surprising how good they are, and three players who are off to bad starts, also maybe a little bit surprising, and, and discuss whether we think think they're going to keep that going, be it good or bad, or if things are going to change for them. And we're going to start on the positive side of the discussion with Rams receiver Cooper Cup. Uh, I got to admit, Emery, this is a guy who I was staying away from in fantasy drafts, not because I didn't like the player, but because I was concerned about the fact that he was going to be, what, like 10 months or so removed from ACL surgery when the Rams took the field in week one. I just didn't think he was going to be able to get up to speed as quickly as he has. This has been an almost Adrian Peterson-like return from a severe knee injury. 23 catches on 31 targets for 268 yards and two touchdowns in the Rams' first three games. Uh, are you you comfortable saying that he is the number one receiver for this LA Rams team? I, w- I would say so <clears throat> because I-, I look at how they utilize him. You know, he's their uh, Julian Edelman. He's their um, Sterling Shepard. He's their, you know, insert random slot receiver. He's a Cole Beasley. Uh, he does a great job of just finding space and quietly Jared Goff hasn't done a good job in pushing the ball vertically down the field So when you look at what he does in the short to intermediate area, it has gone a lot to Cooper Cup. Now, they have great options, Cooks and also Woods, but Cup seems to be the guy that gets a lot of the third down look, uh, you know, looks the, you know, the crucial situation looks and he's converting those into big plays. So I would say he is the number one receiver. Is there something that he does differently than Cooks or Woods that makes him that guy? And that's, of course, like this is no knock on Cooks or Woods. We, they're, they're excellent receivers, and this is probably the most talented group of three receivers that any team has, and Cooks and Woods are doing plenty of heavy lifting themselves. But is there something in Co- Cooper Cup's skill set that makes him the best fit in the offense that the Rams run? I don't think it's anything in his skill set other than he has great hands. 
But I, I do feel as though you could swap Cooks and I'm sorry, uh, Cup and Woods out, and they would do the and Woods would do the same thing. It's just about guys finding space there, that, and that's the uniqueness and the beauty of the Rams' offense is that these guys are are completely interchangeable. They're you know they they learn uh, concepts instead of positions, so guys can play outside or inside, and they do a great job of just you know fitting into their role because we've seen Robert Woods have games like Cooper Cup has. We've seen Brandon Cooks have games like Cooper Cup Cup has, and um. You know, we've seen Cooks do it for multiple teams. So I think it's just about a guy that's in a, a good spot that's uh, maximizing the, the most of his opportunities. There's nothing that he's doing differently than the other two because I do think he and Woods are, are sort of the same type of receiver. Yeah, we know Cook, uh, Brandon Cooks is the guy who they ask to take the top off and push it deep, and he's obviously the deep threat on this team. But is there something different? Because you mentioned that that Cup and uh, Woods do have similar skill sets, and I think you watch this team play a few games that, that does stand out. Do they ask Cup and Woods to do different things, and is that something that's helping Cup be, uh, stand out a little bit more so far this season? No, not really. They are essentially interchangeable. It's like saying you have, um, you know, Two Randy Mosses, right? And one just happens to play outside. One just happens to play inside because of how the, uh, you know, the the offense is. And you want to get all those guys out there on the field because they use wood sometimes in, in similar ways that they, that they use cup and vice versa. Why does it seem like Cooper Cup's always open? I swear, every time I watch a Rams game, it's like this dude is wide open, especially on third down. Why did Why does it seem like? Every Patriots receiver is wide open. You know, it seems like, man, all these are all they're gonna do is run stop routes and crossing routes. How can you not cover that? So it's just it's just, you know, I think what happens is people focus on, you know, the the ground game, they they focus on the play action because the Rams do a great job of everything is play action. So it it forces you to, to stay committed to your your uh positional key. So if you are a linebacker, you're reading run first before you are, you know, going to pass. And so same things for these these cover these uh slot corners or safeties as covering they ends up you know chasing cup or woods across the field they're probably reading run first and reading flow and then they see cup going back across the field and they have to hit the brakes and, and start chasing he ends up open so a lot of it is just how they put together the plays and um challenge your your uh your your responsibilities um as a, as a positional player whether that's a de- defensive lineman or a linebacker yeah, one thing we really wanted to discuss here with all the players we're going to get to is, will this keep up or is there some sort of change coming? You talked about Jared Goff being pretty ineffective trying to push the ball down the field so far this season. I got to imagine that teams are going to challenge him to do that more often and they're going to do what they can to take away Cup and Woods underneath. Uh, is that something that you expect to see from defenses in the next couple of weeks? You you would expect that, but that doesn't mean it's going to happen. You know, mm-hmm. it's so... Yeah, you you want to go into a game thinking that you can take away the underneath stuff and force him to go deep down the field, but that leaves you susceptible to them running the football, and then they're able to get the ground game going with a guy like Gurley. Now you're going to spend extra focus trying to stop that, and you're back at the same point where you started from uh, allowing Cup and Woods and those guys to have success underneath. So then what's the most dangerous way to go into a game against the Rams if you're a defense? Are you are, are you comfortable doing that if it means you're taking away Cup and Woods just because of how effective the two of them have been, especially Cup? 
Yeah, I would probably go in gambling more on stopping their passing game mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to the run game. Because even though right now golf completion percentage-wise is is okay, but we know he puts the ball in harm's way. He's going to give you an opportunity to make a play on the ball. He doesn't really do a good job versus pressure, so you can get him on the ground. You probably want to be a little bit more aggressive as far as affecting the pocket and also uh, covering these wide receivers. You have to trust your personnel. Who can be? Who can you trust in man coverage to uh, run with a guy like Cup or Woods? Even though um, Cooks is the, the speed guy, you can essentially cover him with two. So you have to put a lot of the onus and responsibility on your other corners. Hey, can you cover this guy one on one? Follow him across the field. If you're gonna, you know, at least if you can't completely blanket him, make it a very tough throw because we're gonna send pressure and force that throw to be not as accurate as it as it could be uh, because of the quarterback they're playing. So there's ways you can apply pressure while making things very difficult for, you know, Cooper Cup and also for Jared Goff. All right, the bottom line here, that especially the fantasy owners want to know, is can he keep this up? Now, when I say can he keep it up, we're, we're what, three games into the season. I'm not saying he's going to – he's at 268 yards. I'm not saying keep it up to the tune of 268 times five and a third. I'm just saying can he continue – to be this you know, wide receiver one, especially in PPR leagues, for fantasy purposes, or are things going to even out as we go forward? No, I think he can keep it up and and you know get back to what he did as a rookie uh, back in 20, 2017. You know, he was on pace last year before he got hurt uh, to go over a thousand yards, and I think he can eclipse that this year. So yes, it will keep it will uh, keep up. All right, Cooper Cup definitely looking like a, I mean, this is going to be a guy who, if he does keep it up, Emery, we're going to be talking about as as a fantasy football league winner because uh, he was going sixth round, seventh round, eighth round in fantasy drafts, and he is definitely playing well above that level so far this season. Next receiver I want to turn to is Terry McLaurin. Uh, ugly game for Washington on Monday Night Football, but McLaurin. Got himself in the end zone yet again, the third straight game. Uh, Terry McLaurin doesn't know what it's like to play an NFL game and not score a touchdown because all three games of his NFL career thus far, he has found the end zone. He goes into week four uh, with 16 grabs on 24 targets for 257 yards and three touchdowns uh, on an 0-3 Washington team. You loved him coming into the season. I I believe in our uh, rookie show or when we were talking rookie receivers uh, about a month or so ago, you said that he was one of your uh, three guys uh, you you thought could be this brand of receiver right from the get go. What has made his transition to the league so smooth? Because he he's fast in all directions. and, And, you know, when you're running, when you have that good acceleration, you're able to snap out of your brakes and explode and create separation. So he's done a good job of getting open and. You know, the the fact that he has the strong hands yields itself to being trustworthy to the quarterback, and he's going to continue to get those looks, whether it's um, – uh, what's the crazy boy that threw all the intercepts last night? Um, Case Keenum? Case Keenum or his former college teammate, Dwayne Haskins. It, it probably will increase with Haskins as opposed to what we're seeing now with um, Keenum. So I think what has really made us, he's, you know, he's a, he sees the game from a coach's perspective. Um, so he knows how to find open grass. He has strong hands. He has excellent acceleration. He tracks the ball well. So he's going to get himself in position to make a catch. And then he, nine times out of 10, is going to come down with the catch. I mean, his target 
to catch ratio is excellent. Mm -hmm. So why not keep going to him? It seems as though he's their number two option, uh, maybe pseudo number one, because you could look at Paul Richardson. So I I would say this is going to keep up. Yeah, what would you? How would you describe what the, the, they've asked of him? What the uh, what, what Jake Gruden and this uh, offensive brain trust has asked Terry McLaurin uh, to do so far this season? How are they using him? What, what what are they trying to do to get the ball in his hands? Clearly, he's shown that he's a playmaker right away. Yeah, and I hate to sound so like like I'm being short or mm-hmm. you know uh, or being like you know a, a jerk or whatever, but I'm not. <laughs> Is that think football? You are. Well, football is just so simple. It's like they're asking him to, to win his one-on-one, get open, and catch the ball. Like It's, it, it's essentially that simple. Um, and a lot of guys struggle with one of those three things. You may have a guy that can get open but can't catch. You may have a guy that, that can get open, can't catch, but can't separate. You know, So when you have guys that – or have a guy that can do all three, he's going to be open a lot and there's going to – he's going to get a lot of looks and by the looks of it, he's getting a lot of receptions too. So when, when people probably listen and hear like, well, I mean, I thought, you know, what, what kind of answer is that? that? I mean, that's simple. Yeah. Well, yeah. Football is a simple game. It's not that complicated. How does he keep this up? I, I think that, you know, uh, there obviously wasn't a ton of tape on him uh, coming into the season of teams looked at what he did at OSU, but, and now we've got three games worth of him being a guy who can beat, NFL secondaries and good NFL secondaries. I mean, he you know put up some numbers against the Bears last night, even though the Bears' defense was uh, in control of that game. Uh, with teams now likely starting to key on him as you know one of the guys you have to stop to slow down Washington, how does he adjust to the adjustments? How does he keep this up, knowing that he's going to be much more of a focal point for opposing defenses as they're game planning for Washington during the week? Well, I, I think what you see now and what you're seeing a lot of nowadays is that receivers are coming in being able to play multiple positions so let's say they come in thinking that okay we're gonna put our number one corner on them all right great that's cool but what if your number one corner can't play inside but my receiver can play inside so we'll just keep him inside and now put you at a disadvantage when you thought you had the advantage because you're putting your number one corner on our receiver but he he struggles to follow so he's going to struggle against this particular matchup so i think for him it's unique because when they do go from Keenan to Haskins, his production is probably going to skyrocket because he's going from a guy that now trusts him to a guy that knows him. And when you know someone, you're able to get away with a lot more uh, things that you can do because you know, okay, I know this guy, how he reacts to this throw or to this particular coverage. I know where I can put the football because I've done this with him for three years, you know, some in practice and obviously at a record pace during the season last year at Ohio State. Yeah, that's the last question I want to ask you about uh, McLaurin. You sort of you mentioned it already a little bit right there, but uh, we know that the it's it's a question of when, not if. Dwayne Haskins takes over as the starter in Washington. Um, obviously, we know about the the connection these two guys had in Columbus. So, I guess the more useful question for our purposes here is: What about this Washington offense changes when Haskins takes over, and how does that you know, redound to McLaurin's benefit? You know, that's a great question. I think what changes is you're probably going to see a little bit more element of the deep ball because we don't really see that with Case Keenum. We see a lot of short crossing routes, a lot of intermediate plays, um, and they slowly move the football down the field. You don't have any running game to speak of, number one, without Geis. And Peterson just seems to, to you know, clash with uh, Jay Gruden, who seems to not put him in advantageous situations to be successful. 
So you have dysfunction in your running game. But I do think when you go from a Keenum to a Haskins, the deep ball will come into play. So you're probably going to see a lot more chunk plays, not just for McLaurin, but for also uh, for also uh, Paul Richardson, who's a, another good receiver that can track the deep ball and make tough receptions. All right, Terry McLaurin has played like a wide receiver one in fantasy uh, to this point. I don't think that's necessarily going to keep up because then we're talking about him putting up top 12 fan, uh, fantasy numbers for a wide receiver. But are we talking, you know, when we look back on the end uh, on this season, do we think, do we look at Terry McLaurin and say this guy was a week in, week out fantasy starter? Yeah, I think what, what we can expect is that touchdown, you know, obviously that's going to go down. You can't mm-hmm. expect him to score a touchdown every game. But I think we'll look back and say he was a strong wide receiver too, which is pretty good for a rookie. Oh, it's excellent for a rookie and even better for one who's you know not dealing with uh, or not uh, having the strength, the foundation of being on a great team like Cooper Cup uh, is and was when he was uh, last year. So uh, definitely a really nice return so far for Terry McLaurin. Uh, last guy we want to talk about on the good side before we turn a little bit negative here is DJ Chark, uh, another guy who is just off to an excellent start. One of uh, uh, just like McLaurin has scored a touchdown in every single game this season. 18 targets for Chark in the three Jacksonville games has turned that into 15 grabs for 277 yards and those three touchdowns. This guy was a huge athlete coming out of LSU. What's been different for him this year compared with his rookie year last season? He's starting to catch the football. That's the biggest knock I had on him coming out of LSU and also as a rookie with Jacksonville. I just thought he he wasn't a good, not to sound so silly, but a good catcher of the football just didn't catch well. He had bad hands, in my opinion. Um, you know, it was more of like the Bartavis Bryant type. You know, if it's over his head, yeah. But if it's coming straight straight at him, he's going to drop it, you know, because he's got slow hands, bad hands. And, and, you know, it just wasn't effective. I know he has blazing speed. And I thought during the draft process, a lot of people overrated that aspect of his game and thinking that, okay, because you're fast, that makes you a great receiver but you forget the most important part, which is catching the football. Um, And that is something he has done tremendously well this year. I'm talking about contested catches, you know, off balance catches where he's having to contort his body to make sure he secures the catch to keep both feet in bounds. He's been phenomenal this year and I'm glad that he's having the success. How does a receiver improve that? I mean, it sounds like something so basic, right, as part of your game. I mean, for anyone, for any athlete who plays any sport, let alone a wide receiver in football, uh, to catch things that are thrown to you. How do you improve? Is this just a matter of putting in the the extra work to improve that skill? Yeah, it's a combination of things. You know, it could be putting in the extra work, um, you know, wherever you're dropping the football was coming from. You know, sometimes it's focus drops where you're dropping the ball because you're trying to turn up the field or your hand placement is off or you got slow hands. So you try to work on those technical things. Or it could be a situation where you have bad eyesight. I've seen receivers get LASIK surgery and all of a sudden their catching improves, you know, and and that's the one underrated aspect that not a lot of people talk about, you know, what's your vision and and how well are you seeing the ball Um, and, and being able to judge a depth of, you know, uh, perception. And and that could help you get your hands up faster to be able to catch the football. So there's a lot of things that go into it, but you could tell he definitely put in the work this offseason to get better. 
when a, when you improve uh, this skill specifically, is this something that once you've got it, you've got it, or, or is there a risk that you know Chark uh, succumbs to the dropsies once again? It, it it's possible. We see it at times rear its ugly head with Nelson Aguilar, but it all depends on if the Eagles win or lose. You know, if they uh, decide to blame Aguilar, rightfully so, blame Wentz. You know, so they'll they'll find a way. Like this year, they they hate Aguilar. Last year, they loved them. Um, you know, year before last, he loved them. His rookie year, they hated him. So it, I think when you have – a lot of it is confidence too. You know, you know you can play. You know you can catch the football. You know you can get open. You know you know what you're doing out there. Um, it's just about having that consistency. And a lot of times it's all mental. For, I always use the uh, analogy. Nick Anderson hit so many free throws and so many three-point shots and, you know, so many big shots. But in that – finals game against the Rockets he missed those four free throws which cost him that that game in that series ultimately so he never recovered from that he still had those issues after that after that year and moving on with shooting free throws and you know the kid could shoot free throws you know he's a good shooter a good basketball player or he wouldn't be in that position um and a lot of it is you know same with with dropping the football uh so I think chalk Chark did a great job in this offseason working um, with his hands and doing what he had to do to get, to get ready, and it's, it's showing uh, that it's, it's paying off for him. What's been the fit that you've seen with with him and Gardner Minshew? Well, a lot of times when you're working, let's say you're Gardner Minshew and you're working with the reserves at, at the position, he just has a good comfort level with them. You know, this is a guy he probably worked with a lot during training camp, and so him being the starter – you know, was probably the best thing that could happen for Chark. So even though Chark caught a, a great ball, I believe, with, you know, the touchdown earlier in week one with Nick Foles, mm-hmm. but you just saw him just, you know, have just a chemistry. Same with Baker Mayfield and Rashad Higgins. You know, those guys work together and they get into the game. It was almost uh, like uh, Dwayne Haskins and Terry McLaurin. All right, really quick before we move on to that quarterback you just mentioned there. Same question I just asked you with McLaurin. Uh, we're not expecting DJ Chark to score 16 touchdowns, of course, this season. But when we look back, are we going to be looking back at a guy who was a consistent fantasy starter or who had a hot start that petered out? I'm sorry, repeat that. So are we going to be, when we get to the end of the season, are we going to be looking back at DJ Chark as someone who was a consistent fantasy starter or as someone who had a hot start but wasn't able to keep that going all season? I think he'll be consistent be because right now he's proven himself reliable and reliability gets you more opportunities. All right. Um, you, you're ready to done, ready to be done being positive, ready to flip this over to the negative side of the equation. I think I'm kind of even killed, man. So you can't <laughs> tell if I'm being positive or negative. All right, how about, are you ready to flip it over to the players who have had negative starts to the season? Yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it that way. We'll see if the, if, you know, if the listeners, um, Agree. I kind of because I always wonder, you know, I'm, I tend to to side on the positive side, even mm-hmm. when I'm being critical. Um, but obviously fans hear negativity when you are critiquing their favorite player. Like if I say Wentz has to improve. Oh, my God, you hate Wentz. <laughs> like, man, my God. Yeah. But if I say, you know, if if I say, you know, Wentz, Wentz plays well. So he's your QB one. It's like, bro, <laughs> like. It's, yeah. it's always the extreme with fame. There's a middle ground somewhere, right? Like prime example. Prime example. Mel Kuyper right now is out on this tour pumping out his chest about where he had Daniel Jones. Now, keep in mind, it's one game. Mm-hmm. 
Where was Mel Kuyper when he had Trubisky ranked far in ahead of Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes? Where was Mel Kuyper when he said Lamar Jackson was a third-round pick? Where was Mel Kuyper when he said he would take Blaine Gabbard over Cam Newton? Where was he doing the tour then? How about you let Daniel Jones play a full season before you uh, go ahead on it and pump your chest out and claiming victory, taking a victory lap? Like, he's been doing this for 40 years. Like, this is teenage behavior. Like, bro, he had a good game. And you're saying, like, I told everybody, like, Mel, Mel, yeah. you have missed way more than you have hit. You know, you were just the first to do it. And therefore, we give you your props as the godfather of the draft community. But, man, he has been out there today going above and beyond, pumping his chest out about Daniel Jones after one game, but has been radio silent about Trubisky as QB1 in a draft that had Pat Mahomes and Deshaun Watson in it. Yeah, that definitely doesn't uh, look so good right now. Jeez. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's let, let's do it. Let's talk about someone who was uh, QB one in his draft, uh, at least uh, to who uh, I'm just saying, at least to to uh, the, per the, the person people making the decision. Baker okay. Mayfield. Uh, there you go. Here you go. Quarterback 23 right now in fantasy leagues uh, behind the likes of Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Gardner Minshew, Jacoby Brissett, Marcus Mariota. Uh, all these guys have outscored Baker Mayfield to this point of the season. That was not supposed to happen. What has gone wrong here, Emery? I think for Baker, it's a combination of things. Number one, the offense just looks out of sync for whatever reason. Uh, whether it's play calling, whether it's, you know, uh, the consistency of, you know, the type of plays that they're running or the offensive line inconsistencies, there's something going awry right there because we just saw last year this team had – have tremendous tremendous success with Mayfield and also Freddie Kitchens calling the plays. So now, as Freddie Kitchens is the head coach, we are seeing this offense look terrible. It looks like it looked under Hugh Jackson. Um, but I do believe Baker's biggest issue, and it's dated back to Oklahoma for me when I was scouting him. No one talked about how he didn't handle pressure well. And it didn't rear its ugly head in the Big 12 because there is no pressure in the Big 12. But in the playoffs against Georgia, we saw Georgia be able to get pressure. And we saw Baker do a lot of what we're seeing him do now. And it was so bad against Georgia that we saw Lincoln Riley in the later part of that game, third, fourth quarter, overtime, take the ball out of Baker Mayfield's hands and start running the football with with uh, Rodney Anderson, which is great because Anderson was was balling that night. But when it got to crunch time, you kind of laid on the running game or leaned on the running game and it was, you know, your Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, you took the ball out of his hands. And what are we seeing now in the NFL? Teams are turning up the pressure. Baker is, is a little bit skittish in the pocket. He's sacking himself. He's vacating clean pockets. And he's making errant throws. Last year, we didn't see a lot of that. We saw that against the better teams. We didn't see that against the bad teams. So it has always been there. It's just a little bit more pronounced. And to, to help him out, I don't understand why they're not running the football with Chubb, who seemed to have had a great night or was on pace to have a great night with against the Rams. He was doing very well. And as long as you're able to run the football and get Baker a little bit more acclimated in the pocket and uh, – 
back off that pressure because they're worrying about their their run fits and things of that nature. You can operate off play action, and he can get back to to doing what he did, you know, in, in uh, at Oklahoma, and also when he was having success last year. Right now, they're trying to make it about Baker Mayfield in the deep passing game, and that's not going to work because you're leaving him exposed to pressure, and we know he can't handle pressure very well. So is that the best way for them to turn things around then? Do you do you start to lean on Chubb more and make defenses be a little bit more honest? Is that is that the, I want to say, uh, the only thing they need to do, but is that the start of what they do to get things on the track they thought they were going to be on at this point? I think so. That That would be the starting point for me. Okay, let's lean back on Chubb. Let's let's try to operate off play action, and you know, or maybe we can go with tempo. If we go with tempo, maybe Baker is not going to see a lot of pressure because the defense is going to be worried more so about getting lined up properly than about pl- applying pressure. It's about making sure we have guys, uh, you know, in the right spots, and therefore Baker can quickly diagnose and get rid of the football and keep the offense on pace. So I would either go tempo or start running the football and then operate off play action. Uh, the line we knew was going to be a problem for this team coming into the season, or at least we had a good feeling it was. Uh, that's been the case combined with uh, the uh, issues that Baker has always had, as you've pointed out, uh, uh, when he faces pressure, be it real or imagined. Um, now that we've seen this for three games, how concerned are you about this offensive line going forward? I'm very concerned, but I do know this. We tend to make the offensive line look worse than what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because not all sacks are on the offensive line. Some is on the quarterback. The best thing to do for an offensive line that's struggling in pass pro is running the football. And if they can get back to that, it's surprising that – well, it's, it's surprising and it's not surprising. It's surprising that a running back's coach in Freddie Kitchens has gone away from the run, but it's not surprising that Freddie Kitchens, who was a tremendous college quarterback, has gone away from the run. So I think they have to help out that offensive line by running the football and then allowing them – to operate off play action, defensive linemen won't be as aggressive uh, initially, so that way they can get better position to to pass protect. Because every every time Baker drops back, it's not that he's under pressure. This is not the Houston Texans offensive line. Um, this is an offensive line that still has some very good players on it, and they just have to all as a unit. You know, I'm talking about O line and Baker. They have to get on the same page and, and make sure they get this thing. You know, headed in the right direction. All right, Emery, one of your favorite phrases here. I've heard you say it on this show. I've read it in your writing. Talent wins out, ultimately. Is talent going to win out here? There's plenty of it. Baker Mayfield, Nick Chubb, Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry. Does talent ultimately win out, or is this something that we're going to be shaking our heads at all season? Yeah, I think talent will ultimately win out. It's hard for a talented team to be trash. Now, I spent all <laughs> offseason talking about you know, we've seen this happen before where teams that are super talented on paper end up going through the, you know, the season and being exactly what we thought it would be. I still believe the Browns can win 10 games and be in the mix for that wild card spot, that sixth spot in the playoffs. They just have to get a turnaround pretty quickly. I know they're going through murderous row right now with Baltimore, New England, Seattle, and San Francisco, all great defenses are, that are up next uh, for this offensive line and for Baker Mayfield. So if they can steal two wins out of this run and then they have the the back end where the defenses aren't as stout as they are in this first part of the season, then, yeah, they can definitely realize that potential that we we praised or we you know heaped on them uh, all offseason. 
Yeah, that is an absolutely brutal run, especially if you consider that it started last week with the Rams, too. Just a, a truly uh, tough run. Uh, skittish against pressure, bad offensive line. I think a lot of offenses would uh, would have their hands full going up against those teams all in a row. Let's get to our next guy here. Joe Mixon has uh, had a pretty rough start to the season as well. Uh, 32 carries for 88 yards, seven catches on 10 targets for 51 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Same question to start off Mixon. And we started off with uh, Baker Emery. What's gone wrong here? Mixon hasn't been healthy. Uh, You know, he was dealing with an injury. I want to say coming into the season, uh, you know, during the preseason, I don't think he has been healthy. And so we started to see him get healthy against Buffalo and he had his best outing. So I I thought he was still working his way through, you know, nursing himself back to health. So I think he's going to be trending up toward the back end of the season. Uh, Cause I know he had an injury. Uh, there was a question whether or not he was going to play in, uh, you know, against San Francisco, I believe it was. And so, you know, I think Mixon is, is slowly getting back to a hundred percent. And if last week is of any indication, then he should be again, taking a significant step forward uh, you know, the next week and the week after that, and then following against Baltimore. Was there anything that you saw from him in that game uh, against Buffalo other than health that suggested that things are, you know, on the turnaround for him? Or was it just he looked more like the 100% version of himself than he had those first two weeks? Yeah, he looked more like himself against Buffalo. You saw the initial quickness that was there, the, the you know, the suddenness to make a cut and make a guy miss. Um, and you start to feel conf- confident that he's slowly getting back to what he uh, was, you know, last year. And I think he's going to go on a nice little run here, um, you know, in the middle part of his, the schedule for Cincinnati. Um, this is a, a team that uh, is 0-3. They play Pittsburgh this week in Pittsburgh. Uh, they're underdogs. Let's just say they move to 0-4. It's a team that, uh, obviously, even when they get A.J. Green back, maybe it's uh, beyond the pale at that point, and they've got uh, no real, real uh, realistic playoff hopes. Uh, basically, this is all a long way of saying, is this team's you know, uh, lack of ability to compete going to be something that hinders Mixon all season? No, because I, I don't think the Bengals are as bad as their record may indicate. Okay. Uh, we saw them play great football against Seattle, came up short. We saw them get blown out um, against San Francisco. A mirror the reasons why that happens, and that tends to happen to at least one team every year. Uh, you're going to get blown out in at least one game. Um, and then we saw them come back and have a chance to win against Buffalo. So when they get A.J. Green back healthy and when – Mixon is fully at 100%. They're going to be okay. I think they're going to be that fly in the ointment team. So I still believe Cincinnati is a seven-win team, um, and they'll be a scattered seven-win team. They may go on like a two-game winning streak, but then they'll lose and they'll win one, they'll lose. So I think this team still can cause problems, which means it won't be a bad, hey, we got to start airing it out to come back. Mixon still will have a chance to get 1,000 yards this season. Okay. Um, 10 targets so far in three games. Do you expect him to become more a part of the passing game going forward, even with the emergence of John Ross and even with uh, Giovanni Bernard's continued presence there? No, I kind of see that being something that's going to take a step back because of what you said, the emergence of John Ross. I like how they got Alton Tate involved uh, last game. Uh, he, He proved that, okay, he's someone that could probably deserve a little bit more reps. Um, when A.J. Green gets back healthy. So I think the emergence of those other options is only going to take away from what Mixon does in the passing game, which is fine because 
you want to have that luxury. But I know fantasy owners want to, especially if they own him in PPR leagues, oh, they yeah. want him to get those receptions. Um, but I, I see that's where he's probably going to take a hit this season, more so than what we saw last year. Okay, yeah, that's that, that's big, Emery, in, in in the fantasy world. We want our, uh, I mean, Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. These guys catch a ton of passes. We want that out of our backs. So, uh, should we 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 shouldn't be looking for that out of Joe Mixon going forward, huh? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I think for you know, I mean, he only had forty three receptions last year, right? Right. Um, you know, it's not like he was out there with eighty and you know, nearly a thousand yards receiving. I think. Folks kind of, he only had what, 200, nearly 300 yards. So people may have overrated mm-hmm. his ability in the passing game anyway. Um, so I just think that it's probably going to be somewhere along the lines of what we've seen so far, maybe 30 receptions, uh, just a shade under 300 something yards again. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth, but I wouldn't be com- dependent on him being a reception monster uh, in this offense because they've shown that they are able to add more to it with, with some of the guys that have stepped up this year. All right. Last question on Mixon. Uh, is this simply a question of him being healthy? And once he's healthy, he's the guy who we saw for most of uh, the last couple of seasons. I believe so. It just didn't look the same to me. It wasn't like teams, you know, figured him out or something like that. I just, I knew he hurt something in a preseason and he wasn't the same. And last week we started to see him get a little bit more back that juice that he had. Uh, pre-injury so uh he was drafted mostly as a low-end running back one someone who went you know early second round uh, about uh you know we can call it 10th to 12th uh, among running backs uh going forward it might be hard to him to fully claw his way back to that but going forward do you think he can be that sort of guy a top 12 running back for the rest of the season well you hope so i mean but i just you know right now i, I still think he's a borderline thousand yard rusher okay so yeah rank so. accordingly <laughs> uh, all right <laughs> well, one more guy to uh to talk about before we put a bow on this one it is sony michelle uh and you maybe haven't noticed uh just how ineffective he's been be- at least uh fantasy owners because he does have two touchdowns so uh, you're still getting those uh nice touchdown points but 45 carries for 108 yards so far this season fewer than two yards per carry in two of new england's three games what is going on here Emery another guy that was coming off of an injury you know he had that the you know the injury in the preseason and you know was, I think they're pacing themselves you know they're they're allowing him to work himself back into football shape to get back to 100 percent for the stretch run because we know the Patriots you know if you if you love playing the odds they will make a deep run in the playoffs and so they're pacing themselves uh, with with their first round pick in Sony Michelle, so I'm not as worried. I know last week against the Jets, once they realized it was going to be a blowout, it wasn't even fun anymore for them. So they're just <laughs> like, all right, we'll we'll pull Tom Brady, we'll pull Sony Michelle, we'll take him out. Um, you know, so he had a good game against Miami. You know, I guess he made a statement there because he it was in Miami. He wanted to prove he could win in Miami. Um, but I'm not worried about Michelle because, as like I always say, talent wins out. Okay, this is something that I talk about a lot, so I'm happy you brought it up. Uh, NFL teams couldn't care less about our fantasy needs, right? I mean, they are out there trying to win games, get to the playoffs, win the Super Bowl, do all that. And that's something that we have to keep in mind when we're playing fantasy football. And I think Sonny Michelle is a great illustration of that, right? The Patriots 
uh, know what they're going to be, right? They're going to be the one seed, maybe the two seed in the AFC. They're going to get a bye. They're going to be one of the best teams in the league. They're going to be a Super Bowl favorite all season long. And that's what they're aiming for. And they likely think that they need Sony Michelle out there uh, in the playoffs to do what they have aspirations to do. They care more about a healthy, fully charged Sony Michelle in January than they do about what he does in September and October. So is that something that fantasy owners need to be a little wary of that? Hey, Sony Michelle's fine. Uh, the player himself is fine, but the usage might not be there for him to show up the way that we thought in fantasy leagues. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point because at the end of the day, when you are truly a team that, that deals in championship aspirations and not trying to, Oh, we just want to make sure we have a winning season. Like they legit, plan to go to the Super Bowl every year and they they run their their offense and they handle their personnel accordingly. And I think if he's healthy or if he was healthy or if there was no worry about him injuring himself or getting injured, then we'd see him have more carries. We wouldn't see Brady out there just dumping the ball off uh, 40 times a game to all those open wide receivers um, in their passing game. You know, we'll see Sony Michelle be their four-minute offense back and close out games with 10 carries in the fourth quarter or something like that, sort of like he did in the Super Bowl. So I just think that it's a it's a uh, maintenance issue for, for New England, um, you know, body maintenance or whatever they want to call it, player maintenance, player management, um, just keeping him, you know, healthy for a nice little stretch run on the back end of the season. Yeah, Greg Popovich loves that, right? The player maintenance uh, call. Yeah, player maintenance, yeah. <laughs> um, so does that mean, do you think we see more Rex Burkhead and Damian Harris in, in the weeks to come? Well, we saw Harris for, what, the first time last week. Right. Um, and Burkhead has always been one of my favorites in how he runs football, you know, but he does, he's not going to get the consistent carries to where he becomes a, a threat. But at the end of the day, you know, maybe those guys factor in the running game with, Michelle slowly transitioning into the goal line back. Uh, so I, you know, we'll see. I, I, if you own Sony Michelle, I would be feeling offers for other, other players because you can't really trust the New England situation right now. And again, just to, not to belabor the point, but that's got everything to do with the team and little to nothing to do with the player. Correct. Correct. That's why I said the New England situation. Right. Okay. Um, so, you know, we were, you know, if people who bought into Sony Michelle, uh, exactly what you said, that he was going to be uh, the primary runner on this team. He was going to handle all uh, or most, if not all of the goal line work. And he was going to, by virtue of being on this great team, get somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 or 18 carries per game. Do you think because of uh, what the Patriots are looking at with him, with with his injury and with what they need from him down the line, that maybe we're talking about him more as a 12 carry per game guy or a guy who pops for 22 carries this week, but then just eight the following week? Yeah, I think he's too healthy skeleton to where you could trust, you know? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so in terms of him being uh, of him turning his season around to the point where he lives up to the draft day expectations, you're maybe backing off that for Sony Michelle. Now, are you talking about fantasy draft day expectations I'm or fantasy draft day expectations? Yes. Yeah. I would say he, I don't think he'll realize that. Um, and you don't want to tell the listeners to kind of, you know, wait and see. I mean, there's, there's championships on the line. You can't, you don't have the luxury of waiting and seeing right if he's going to turn it around when you don't really trust the situation he's in uh, because how he's being handled or managed. So like I said, I would probably 
fill offers for, you know, for trades mm-hmm. and let someone else deal with that, that speculation while, you know, while I focus on the for sure bets in, in uh, in fantasy. So maybe look to move Sony Michelle. Joe Mixon, however, could be a buy low candidate after his slow start to the season. And we're feeling that ultimately, even though the uh, start has been far from what we expected, that Cleveland and Baker Mayfield figures things out. Yeah, they're too they are too talented to not figure it out. You know, you you can you can luck into 25 points a game with those players on offense and they're going to get back uh, at some point Kareem Hunt so and Higgins and Callaway so there's going to be an improvement offensively so have faith in Baker Mayfield in that passing game because it's going to turn around uh, pretty quickly another guy maybe you could look into buying certainly the people who bought in on draft day are not happy with what they've got through three weeks we hope that you are happy with what you've got here in this week four edition of the advanced route uh, again i am michael beller you can follow me on twitter at m beller you can follow my excellent co-host who really i gotta be honest carries the show here emory hunt at fball game plan one more time 40 percent off a subscription uh to the athletic at the athletic.com slash the advanced route so if you're listening to this on itunes or spotify first of all thank you second of all go get yourself a subscription and get 40 percent off while you're at it uh, we'll be back with you next week on the advanced route until then have a great week enjoy the weekend that's a couple of days away uh, great college football and nfl slate ahead of us once again until then have a great week we'll talk to you next week on the advanced route